0: Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. It's 887 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Director of Public Relations. Aura 290 is available only at the city event. Loaded there's no other.
1: Thrilled to be here. I've only got one more week of being able to use that intro, and yeah, it's it's getting crazy in the NCAA tournament, let me tell you. How about St. Peter's Peacocks? That's quite a story. I love a Jesuit Cinderella story, don't you? Sounds very familiar, except this one's a little bit different, but we're going to talk about that. I have a lot more in store as well for you on this week's edition of the Sunday Sports Shootout here on ww 88.7 FM. I'm your host Nick Schultz. So great to be back with you here. We've got a lot of college hoops talk coming up. If we have some time, gonna talk some bulls, bears, and baseball, as I put it in my notes. That might come toward the end of the show. I got a lot of college basketball thoughts, men's and women's today. We're talking a little bit of women's hoops because Kate Ochter is not coming back to Loyola. That surprised me. That that I didn't see coming. But Kate Ochter coming or not coming back. That's Big, we'll talk about that. The Big Ten, oof, that was rough go. Rough go in the NCAA tournament for the Big Ten. In Atlantic Ten news, uh, Frank Martin is the new coach at UMass. You know, we're going to talk a lot more Atlantic Ten going forward here because that's where Loyola is going to be going next year, obviously. So Frank Martin is going to UMass. That's a huge hire. you going to talk about the implications of that on the league. And why that's big for Loyola as well. And I've got some Transfer Portal thoughts. Transfer Portal has been very, very active. It seems like Drew Valentine and company are calling every name in the portal. I think per Verbal Commits' latest update, there are 820 names in the Transfer Portal. This is the second year in a row the portal has been really, really active. So I've got that coming up in the second half hour as well. As always, if you want to chime in on anything I'm talking about, slide into my Twitter DMs or shoot me a tweet at Nick Schultz underscore seven. I have my tweet deck open. I'll try to read them all on the air if I can, assuming they're appropriate. But we're going to start with the NCAA tournament because that's still going on. Uh, half of the Final Four is set. We've got Villanova and Duke moving on. Today, you've got the other two teams that are going to be set. It'll be St. Peter's and North Carolina. And you'll also have Kansas and Miami. So I think this tournament has been really interesting. You know, I'm taking pride in the fact that all four of my final four were out by the Elite Eight. Actually, it was halfway through the Sweet 16 that all of my final four were out, which means my national championship was out. So yeah, the brackets did not go well this year for you, boy. But still an entertaining tournament. I mean, St. Peter's, what more can you say? 15 seed coming out of the MAC, not the Mid-American MAC. This is the Mid-Atlantic Athletic, the MAAC. You know, the MAC had more Elite Eight teams than the Big Ten did. But we'll talk about that in just a second. But yeah, St. Peter's is such a great story, and I keep tweeting it. You can't bet against a guy in a mustache in March. Started with Cameron Krutwig, now you got Doug Eddard, who now has an NIL deal with Buffalo Wild Wings, which That's just the joys of NIL. That's why I'm such a big supporter of it as well. You know, St. Peter's is taking on North Carolina tonight, and I don't see any reason why the Peacocks can't keep this thing going. Is that tonight or this afternoon? Because the Sunday slate of Elite Eight games is really weird in terms of yesterday, the games were at night, but today there's an afternoon game. So I'm not sure. St. Peter's, North Carolina is at 4 o'clock. That's the quote-unquote late game. So today's Elite Eight games are in the afternoon. You've got Miami and Kansas at 120, St. Peter's and North Carolina at 405. Those are both on CBS. So you don't have any college basketball on TV tonight, which is going to be really weird. Still adjusting to life without football on Sundays, too. No, normally I'd throw on some college hoops game, but there's no college hoops game tonight. They're both this afternoon. So St. Peter's, North Carolina, North Carolina has been playing really, really well Hubert Davis has turned that program around lately. You know, there was a point in time I was worried about what North Carolina was going to be able to do. Were they going to be able to win in the NCAA tournament? Were they going to be able to move on any farther? I forget. My bracket's on the other side of the room, and I don't feel like going to get it. But I don't think I had them going very far, definitely not this far. And Miami is also in the ACC. The ACC had three teams in the Elite Eight. They had five bids. Three of them went to the Elite Eight. And Miami's got Kansas in the first game today at 120. And as I said, half of the Final Four is set. Villanova beat Houston 50 to 44. That was a final score 50 to 44. And Duke beat Arkansas 78 69. That Houston Villanova game 50 to 44. So the defense from Houston is amazing. I mean, what Kelvin Sampson does on defense—it's textbook. You cannot, you can't teach that. Well, I guess you can teach that, but you you know what I mean. That is such great defense that he imparts on his team. They held Villanova. Villanova to 50 points. The only reason Houston did not win this game is because they went wait for it. 1 for 20 from three point. 1 for 20. Kyler Edwards went 0 for 8. Jamal Shedd went 0 for 5. 1 for 20 from downtown, and they had some clean looks toward the end of that game. They had a chance to either tie it or maybe take the lead, depending on the situation. Can't remember the exact scenario. But they had some clean looks, and they just could not get them to go. But yeah, that defense was amazing. I just can't get over
0: a final score of 50-44. to 44. And then you have Duke go out and drop almost 80.
1: So you've got those two teams set, and you've got two more that are going to be decided by the end of the day today. But I want to talk about the Big Ten. And I've kind of taken a couple shots at the Big Ten so far. Let's talk about them now. Nine bids. The Big Ten had nine bids to the NCAA tournament this year. By far the most. Not one made the Elite Eight. Two made the Sweet Sixteen. Michigan, an 11 seed. Which, should Michigan have been an 11 seed? Should they have gotten in the tournament? That's a conversation for another time. Moral of the story here, they were an 11 seed. Purdue was a three seed. They got knocked off by St. Peter's. I don't know what to make of the Big Ten not having any Elite Eight teams. I mean, out of nine teams, you'd think one of them would go on. Now, granted... Indiana and Rutgers were in the first four. So really, in the field of 64, because it started with 68, the play-in games do count as bids. But Rutgers lost to Notre Dame in double overtime in that marathon game. So the Big Ten had eight teams in the field of 64. But either way, how does not one of those teams make the Sweet 16th? You know, I can't really diagnose it. I know people on Twitter have been in my mentions cuz I do a lot of do a lot of Big 10 coverage cuz I freelanced at Saturday Tradition before I got my job at On3, so I still do a lot with the Big 10. And I have people in my mentions saying, "Oh, overrated league." I mean, I don't know how to respond to that other than baby. And I don't want to go out there and call the Big 10 overrated because it's still that's a that's a tough league. That was a highly Highly competitive league this year. I mean, Let me pull up the standings here for you to put it in perspective. In the Big Ten, the top six teams were within three games of each other, and there was a tie for first. Michigan finished tied for seventh, I think, if I've got this right. Yeah, tied for seventh at 11-9. and nine. So it was a tough league this year, and yeah, not to have a team in the elite eight. Ouch. You know, locally because I'm living here in Central Illinois, we got to talk about the Illini because they barely got past Chattanooga, and then they fell victim to that Houston defense as well. You know that that game was it did not nothing was going. Illinois' way, 68-53, was the final. They shot 34% from the field, 24% from beyond the arc. Kofi Coburn had 19 points, 7 of which came at the free throw line. Kofi Coburn went 7 for 7 at the free throw line. Yes, that Kofi Coburn, 7 for 7 from the stripe. No one else was in double digits. Trent Frazier and Alfonso Plummer both had 8. R.J. Melendez had 9, including that bogus technical foul called. It it changed the game. Illinois looked like they were making a surge. Melendez throws down a dunk. He hangs on the rim for another maybe half a second because if he'd have let go, he'd have fallen and probably hit his head or hurt his back with the angle he was at. So he hung on the rim for an extra second. Referees decided to tee him up.
0: That was not good. But yeah, that not a great game from Illinois.
1: I mean, they were still somewhat efficient, 11, for, 11 assists and 17 made field goals, but they went 17 for 50. And that's that Houston defense too, holding Illinois 53 points. And again, seven of those points from Kofi Coburn came at the free throw line. Yeah, Illinois looked vulnerable this year. They shouldn't have, I feel like. And conversation I want to start maybe having, and I could have it on today's show if we want. It's kind of We'll kind of play it by ear here, if we want. But a conversation I want to start having is about, and we need to talk about Brett Underwood. With Iota Sumu last year, they couldn't get out of the round of 32 because Loyola beat them. This year, Kofi Coburn's your focal point. You've got a lights-out shooter in Alfonso Plummer. you got Andre Curbelo. Andre Curbelo did not play in the
0: second half of that game, by the way. Still can't get out of the round of 32 against Houston. Now, Brad Underwood's a great recruiter. I mean, we've seen that. He's got some talented talented
1: guys coming in as well. But recruiting is half the battle. It's a matter of getting the most out of your players. And maybe I'm being a little unfair here. But I just think we need to start talking
0: about Brad Underwood in the NCAA tournament, because he had two teams that
1: could have gone to that could have gone to the Sweet Sixteen. Some people last year picked Illinois to win the whole thing. There were people this year saying Illinois was better than last year. I disagreed with that because they didn't have a guy who could take over in close games and make those big shots when you needed. They were looking for Sumu and he wasn't available. Kofi Coburn's a great player. He's, I don't know if he's going to go NBA this year. He's not going to be a first-round pick this year. not In any mock drafts I've seen, he's got to
0: get a mid-range game. I personally think Kofi needs to go back for another year. I don't know what's going to happen
1: with Curbelo. I know there's been a lot of speculation after he didn't play in the second half. And all Underwood said was coach's decision. No, nothing else, just those two words. So Curbelo played 10 minutes, no points, one assist, two turnovers over four shooting. I thought the freshman for Illinois looked good. Luke Goody, 19 minutes. I mean, Melinda is 20 minutes. What can you say?
0: But that's a conversation we can maybe start at least talking about having is
1: Brad Underwood at Illinois. I mean, looking at his recruiting class, Class of 22, the group he's got coming in, he's got three, three talented players. This is from our rankings at on three. He's got Jaden Epps. He's the top combo guard in the country. Number two recruit in Virginia. He's also got, I'm going to butcher this, Sincere Harris. I think that's how you pronounce it. Number two recruit in the state of Ohio. And Ty Rogers, a small forward. He's a number one recruit in Michigan. They're all four stars in our on three consensus rankings. Doesn't have anybody committed yet for the class of 2023, but that's okay. It's still really early for that. But he's got three guys coming in that are pretty good. And I think a lot's also going to depend on what happens with Curbelo. I said at the top of the show, the transfer portal has been very active.
0: And I'm going to talk about how that impacts the Missouri Valley here in the second half hour. But whatever happens with Carbello,
1: it might open the door for somebody else. You know, looking at the roster here, Frazier's done. I think Plummer's done. No, I'm sorry, he's not done. He might have another couple more years in him if he wants. It throws me off because he transferred from Utah. And the COVID year in there, I talked about this last week as well. The COVID year makes this really tough to project who's coming back especially when you have a transfer, because you're trying to think, okay, they played four years. Did one of those years, did they get hurt? Was there a red shirt in there? Did they transfer one time? You know, when I'm doing this on the air here, I'm this is live. So when I'm looking through these teams and looking at these, these guys who could come back, I'm looking at it as, okay, let's look at this real quick. How many years did they play? So Plummer, I guess, could come back. I think he will. Demonte Williams is done. I said Frazier's done. No idea what's next with Curbelo. Illinois, to me, is a question mark right now. And I don't know what Kofi's going to do either. Because Kofi Coburn has played three years. He could have, I guess, two more with the COVID year. I think he should come back for another year. I know last year he... After the season, he went to test the NBA draft and entered the transfer portal in the process. And when you enter the transfer portal, and this is something I'm going to talk about when I discuss the impact it has on the Valley. When you enter the transfer portal, it does not mean you are transferring. You can stay. And that's what Kofi Coburn did. He entered the portal after testing the draft. Draft didn't work out, so he went back, he was in the portal, talked to a few teams, took a few visits, ended up staying at Illinois. To me, I think he needs to take another year of college. I think he's close to being NBA ready. He just needs to hone his craft a little more. He took a step forward this year. He needs to take one more step forward, I think, before we start talking serious NBA, maybe first-round status. This is
0: a deep draft anyway. And anyway, the Big Ten this year, yikes.
1: I mean, I thought Purdue should have been the best team in the country. I said that coming into the year. I thought there was no reason they couldn't be the best team in the country given the star power they brought back. Because that that was a team that took advantage of that COVID year. And Matt Painter had some dudes coming in as well. And man, Purdue, I. How did Zach Eady just not eat against St. Peters. St. Peters is a small team. Zach Eddie is 7 foot 4. All you had to do was give the ball to Edie, get it inside, let him get close to the rim. Stacy King says it during Bulls games all the time with Nikola Vucevic. It's a simple game, baby. It's a simple game and look, credit to St. Peters. This is An amazing Cinderella run. You could argue greatest Cinderella run ever. But if you're Purdue, you're looking at that matchup, you're looking at the guys you have on your team, and you're throwing your hands in the air. I don't have a solution to the Big Ten's NCAA tournament issues, but it's not good. It's not good. And now we just have to watch who's going to enter the transfer portal because that seems to be the way college sports are going, is who's going to enter the transfer portal after the season ends.
0: I mean, I've told you now, it's upward of 800-some names in the portal. And I'll have more to say on that in a few minutes. We're going to shift gears here
1: and bring this more closer, more closer. We're going to bring this closer to home, closer to campus. Stunning news. I think it's safe to say this is stunning from the Loyola women's basketball team that Kate Ochter's contract was not renewed. That means she's done as women's basketball coach at Loyola, which I, my jaw hit the floor when I saw this because they had a pretty strong year this year. I want to say it was their most wins since the 80s or thereabouts. 18 and 12 overall record this year. They just missed out on the postseason. I would argue they got snubbed. You know, she was there for six years, and when she took over, this is why this is so stunning. You see the overall record of 67 and 110, 36 and 72 in Missouri Valley play in six years. You look at that on paper and you say, wow, that's not great. How did she last six years? Her first year there. Her first year there was my freshman year. So we came into Loyola at the same time. She took over for Cheryl Swoops. And if you're not familiar, because I know this is starting to get farther and farther away in terms of time, Cheryl Swoops was the coach at Loyola until 2016. Yes, the Hall of Famer, Cheryl Swoops, by the way. She left the program in 2016. After an investigation into the program, it started with articles in the Loyola Phoenix. Madeline Kenny and Nader Issa were the writers then. They were my editors freshman year. And anyway, they started asking questions and looking into the program. It turns out there were allegations of player mistreatment. There were multiple players in the transfer portal. Want to say when Kate took over in 2016, she had three I think it was 3 players left from the previous year. They went 2 and 28 overall and 1 and 17 that season. I remember it vividly because I was in the Band of Wolves, so I was at every game. And when I wasn't in the band, I was there for the Phoenix. And it was rough. Let me tell you, it was rough. You know, every year from there they got better. 7 and 23 in 17, 18, 13, 18, 18, 19. 2019, 2020, they went 15 and 14. 2020, 21, they went 12 and 15, but they played postseason. I think it was the Women's Basketball Invitational. It was WBI. And then this year, by far their best, 18 and 12, and they actually beat Missouri State at the end of the season. Missouri State went to the NCAA tournament. So that shows you the job she did. Her mantra coming in was turn the ship. S-H-I-P. And she did that. You know, the program's in a good spot, I feel like, now going to the Atlantic 10, which is actually another ripple to this, is that Kate, she went to Bonaventure, didn't she?
0: She either went to Bonaventure or coached at Bonaventure,
1: which is obviously in the Atlantic 10. No, she went to Bowling Green, and then she spent five years at St. Bonaventure. That's it. I knew there was a connection in there somewhere. So joining the league would have had her go against St. Bonaventure, which would have been a really interesting storyline. And on top of
0: this, she just landed a commitment the same week. Now, the other thing with this news, this press release came out from Loyola Athletics. This came out, I think, Thursday,
1: if I have my timing right. If I have my timeline straight, this came out Thursday, yes. Now, let's take another look at something else that happened this week in women's basketball.
0: Earlier in the week, two players entered the transfer portal. And this was, this came out in the Loyola Phoenix
1: on Monday. Pretty sure I saw it earlier in the week. So it was about a week ago now. So within the week, to put it this way, Allison Day and Janae Gonzalez entered the transfer portal. And Allison has turned into one of the, I guess, pillars, quote-unquote, of the program. She was a big part of this rebuild when she came in. All-league player. Honorable mention, MVC first team this year. She also scored 1,000 points, which is a big deal. And Janae Gonzalez was a big part of it as well. I mean, when she came in, she came in... She's a good shooter, good scorer, and she kind of took a few steps back as the years went on. So that was the big thing that kind of raised my eyebrows was Allison and Janae transferred, which meant, okay, what's next there? And then the press release comes out that K-Doctor's contract isn't renewed. So there's a lot going on over there with the women's basketball program. I don't know what's next. Uh, The last line of the five-sentence press release is that a national search for a new Loyola women's basketball coach will begin immediately. And here's a statement from Steve Watson. Quote, we thank Coach Octor for her contributions to the program over the last six
0: seasons, and we wish her and her family the best in their future endeavors. Again, I don't know what's next.
1: I don't have a name for you. That's why not being on campus anymore not reporting on these teams every day, that kind of, it. I don't want to say it hurts, but it when people ask me, oh, what have you heard? I'm like, I don't live on campus anymore. This isn't my beat. But the reason I'm talking about this is because I feel like we're Loyola Student Radio Station. I feel like I have to give you the whole, I guess, story here, tell you about things that are happening on campus. And this is a thing that's happening on campus.
0: You know, I wish Kate Doctor the best in whatever's next. I don't know what's next. But I thought we had to break that down
1: because that surprised a lot of people, including me. Now, I know people on women's basketball Twitter were talking about her being a rising star, she's going to land somewhere good. I don't know where she's going. But this is really interesting stuff in
0: Rogers Park. That's big time news. So, yeah, we don't talk a lot of women's basketball on the show. We talk a lot
1: of men's basketball because that's usually what people have questions about. People want to talk about the men's basketball team, what's going on in the transfer portal. Full disclosure, I don't have any transfer portal news for you. It's going to be straight up and down. I, I don't know. I've had people ask me, hey, what have you heard on the portal? I've heard nothing, which I guess is a good thing. No news is good news, I guess. But I figured today we need to talk some women's basketball because that's a huge move, a stunning move. Because Steve Watson hired K-Doctor. He did not hire Cheryl Swoops and that was one of Steve's first big hires was getting someone to quote unquote turn the ship after Swoops left the program and everything happened it wasn't good i could tell you and you can go to the phoenix's website the the archives are still up and read the stories it was a bad situation that K Dr walked into and i thought she did a heck of a job turning that thing around But this was just, the timing is so weird after a season like this. I know they didn't make the postseason, and I know they were hoping for WNIT.
0: But that just, I say again, my jaw hit the floor when I saw that press release.
1: So stay tuned for what's next. I'll keep you posted if anything else comes up along the way here. Because I'll, I'll talk women's basketball. I was watching the women's NCAA tournament yesterday. If you weren't watching Notre Dame-NC State, what were you doing? That game was amazing. Even though Notre Dame lost, they were in control until the last, what, minute, I'd say?
0: It was a heck of a game. NC State ended up winning. Huge play by Raina Perez, too. As we hit the bottom of the hour
1: here, I want to tell you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on eighty 88.7 FM, Chicago Sound Alliance, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago. I am coming to you where I've been broadcasting from for the last year here in Dwight, Illinois. If you want to chime in on anything I'm talking about, slide into my Twitter DMs or shoot me a tweet at Schultz underscore seven. I have my tweet deck open. We'll read anything I get, assuming it's appropriate, on the air. I'm going to pivot a little bit to the Atlantic 10 because there was some Big A-10 news. Big A-10 news this week. You know, UMass has been looking for a new coach. Matt McCall is out after, what, four years? And they're going about this coaching search. The first name I heard linked to UMass was Mark Schmidt. And I know Loyola fans and people around Loyola are getting used to the Atlantic 10. Who is Mark Schmidt? He's currently the coach at St. Bonaventure, getting ready to coach in the semifinals of the NIT. And St. Bonaventure, yes, is in the Atlantic 10. So I hear that, and I don't know how true that was. I mean, I don't know the source on that. It made its way around Twitter. Some reputable people retweeted it with their thoughts, so I'm taking it for what it's worth. I guess Mark Schmidt was in the mix, and then there was a report a report that later came out that said Mark Schmidt took his name out of consideration, which means I guess that had some credence to it. So UMass's search was going on and they ended up settling on Frank Martin as their new coach. Now Frank Martin spent the last 10 years at South Carolina and he's a, he's a good coach. Now he didn't get South Carolina back to the tournament really, you know, they made that final four run in 2017. They hadn't been back since. And I've written about this quite a bit on three as well. And yeah, he spent 10 years at South Carolina, 171 and 147 record, but 79 and 99 in SEC. Uh, This past year, 18 and 13, 9 and 9 in league play. And four straight year, they missed out on the big dance. And yeah, the last time South Carolina was in March Madness was 2017 when they made the final four. They haven't been back since. Now, this is a big shift in gears here for Frank Martin because I keep talking about how the A-10 is a big jump for Loyola, and it is. This is a big-time jump. But that said, it's not the SEC. You know, going from the SEC to the Atlantic 10, that is a huge shift in gears in terms of, I guess, pressure. You know, the A-10 does not have the A-10 network. The SEC has the SEC network. The Atlantic 10 had two bids this year because Richmond stole a bid. The SEC had, what, seven bids, including two two-seeds?
0: This is a drastic change for Frank Martin, but I think this is a home run higher for UMass.
1: They went 15-17 and 17 this past year, 7-11 and 11 in league play. Matt McCall was there for five years, 16, 81, 30, and 52 in league play. What's also interesting about this is that Frank Martin's wife graduated from UMass. So she's heading back to her alma mater. I'm pretty sure she ran track there. She graduated in 1998, which, yes, that was the year I was born. If you want to feel old today, you're welcome. And the other thing I like about this is now... In the Atlantic 10, you have Frank Martin and Archie Miller. Archie Miller, you know, used to coach at Indiana before that ended. He didn't get Indiana to the tournament, Mike Woodson did in one year. Archie Miller is coaching at Rhode Island. It's not the first time he's been in the league. He coached at Dayton before heading to Indiana. Two regular season titles at Dayton, by the way. But now he's coaching at Rhode Island, so you have Frank Martin and Archie Miller in the same league. Could you imagine, and I know the can of worms I'm going to open when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's fun. Could you imagine if Porter Moser stayed at Loyola and you had Porter Moser, Frank Martin, and Archie Miller in the same league? And again, I know the can of worms that's going to open, but that thought has crossed my mind quite a bit since UMass announced the hiring this week. I think it's huge. That's a really, really, really big hire for the Minutemen. And any program whose mascot is the Minutemen is already big time in my book. And that's a program that's struggled lately. UMass has been struggling, and I think Frank Martin coming from the SEC, I think that's going to be a huge jolt going forward. And that's going to have an impact on Loyola, too, because now you've got Drew Valentine who's entering year two of coaching, but now they're switching leagues. So you have a second-year head coach versus some of these veterans
0: and these guys that have coached in the Big Ten and the SEC. That's big. And that's the impact that's going to
1: have on Loyola is from a coaching standpoint. We heard so much this year, and I got so tired of that narrative, and I'm so glad it's done. I really hope – is there a coach in D1 younger than Drew Valentine? Please tell me there is because I'm tired of hearing about, oh, he's the youngest coach in Division One. Please tell me someone hired a coach younger than him because I got really sick of that. But the fact that he's entering year two, going up against these guys, and that was the, th- the difference in the game against Michigan State in November – I've said it on the air. Loyola got outcoached because they were going against Tom Izzo, who's one of the best basketball minds in the game. Now, I'm not putting Frank Martin and Archie Miller in the same category as Tom Izzo, but my point is you've got more experienced guys you're going to be going against, and that's, that's going to be important, and that's why these are two big hires for Rhode Island and UMass. Jonah Blatt writes in, the 810 is going to be deep as all get-out as far as coaching is concerned. I agree. That is a really well-coached league. Because not only do you have these guys that I just mentioned, you've also got,
0: at Davidson, you've got one of the longest-tenure coaches in D1, and that's Bob
1: McKillop. And Bob McKillop has been there for 32 years.
0: So it is a very well-coached league. And it's getting even better.
1: You know, with the addition of Drew Valentine coming in, you've got, let me read off some of these names for you. you got Kim English at George Mason, who seems to be doing decent work. I still am shocked we haven't heard more about what's going on at George Washington. Jamie Christian's out. I thought he was one of the up-and-coming young coaches. Chris is over at Richmond. Look at the job he did this year, getting the Spiders to the NCAA tournament. I told you about Mark Schmidt at Bonaventure. I think Travis Ford was a good hire at St. Louis. And you'll have Loyola coming in with Drew Valentine to add to this list. And again, you've got two openings in the league, George Washington and LaSalle. I've not heard anything on
0: either one of them. So I don't know what's going to happen with those positions. But yeah, the eight ten, 10 that's a very well-coached league.
1: Uh, Jonah also writes back in, they'd have to hire someone slightly older than you and I to make that go away. Yeah, that just put it in perspective. Because Drew is, what, 30? I'm 23 going on 24. So feasibly, there could be somebody... That would have been a senior in college when I was in college. That could be a Division I coach that would change that narrative. Wow. Okay. Thanks for the reality check, buddy. Yeah, thanks for that. I needed that I 11.40 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, That that's great. That just put it in perspective for me. But now going back to Frank Martin, I think this is absolute home run. Best case scenario for UMass, Massachusetts, UMass Amherst, whatever you want to call them. They're UMass. They're the Minutemen. Men. We'll call them the Minutemen. Men. You know, getting a coach that was in the SEC, and I think South Carolina could have been a tournament team. There were a lot of 9-9 teams in the SEC that didn't get to the big dance. Actually, there were a couple 9-9 teams that got in, I think. And I think going to a mid-major, and I, the Atlantic 10 is a mid-major. I want to be very clear. This is not... I said it earlier, this is not the Big Ten. This is not the Pac-12. The Atlantic Ten is a mid-major, a high-tier mid-major. It's a mid-major conference. And I think going to that would allow, it would allow more leeway, not in terms of NCAA tournament talk, because the SEC obviously gets more bids than the Atlantic Ten, but more leeway in terms of flexibility with the program, a little more patience, I guess.
0: You know, like I said, South Carolina hasn't been to the dance since 17.
1: And I can tell you they only made it during Frank Martin's tenure that one time. Now, when he was at Kansas State, he took Kansas State in the Big 12 to four tournaments in five years, and they made the NIT the other year.
0: So he's got NCAA tournament experience, including that Final Four. He was Big 12 coach of the year. So, yeah, that's amazing that UMass was able to land
1: Frank Martin. I'm glad he could land on his feet, too. He seems like a genuine guy. You know, that news at South Carolina, I don't think it was exactly expected. At least it wasn't to me. And now he's going to the A-10, and, again, I'm all for it. It's going to be a very well-coached league. Getting into our last segment here with 20 minutes left, We need to talk about the transfer portal. And again, I said this at the bottom of the hour, but if you missed it, when I talk about the transfer portal, no, I don't know anything about anything going on in the portal involving Loyola. I just, I haven't asked first off, I mean, all quiet on the Western front, I guess it's been very quiet, which is no news is good news. It's usually my attitude with types of things like this in the off season. I told you about the situation next year for Loyola. In terms of scholarships, you've got some guys who didn't play this year who are going to have big roles next year. I'm looking at St. Thomas. I'm looking at T.Y. Johnson. Ben Schweiger didn't play this year. He redshirted. I think Demise Anderson can play a great role. I don't know what's next for the Ivy Leaguers either. But the Missouri Valley, Loyola's soon-to-be old league, is getting hit hard by the transfer portal. By my count, I could be wrong on this. This is via verbal commits. I counted about 16 names from Missouri Valley, in the transfer portal. Now, out of these some 840 names in the portal now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but from one league, that's a lot of turnover. And I gave this context earlier when talking about Kofi Coburn. Just because you enter the portal does not mean you are transferring out. You can still pull your name out of the portal and
0: stay where you're at. But seeing Terry Roberts and Noah Carter enter the portal, that,
1: that was stunning, the definition of stunning. I mean, I think of the two, I think Noah Carter was the most surprising just because he – Northern Iowa had to adjust on the fly this year. Austin Fife was a force down low. He had a bad bout with COVID. It was nasty. He was not the same player after that. So Ben Jacobson adjusted on the fly and started putting Noah Carter at the five and he he took over, he turned into a different player. It was awesome he turned it he was great. it was a fantastic move and the fact that he entered the portal, and i don't know I know he released a statement, but I'll be honest with you, I think I missed it in the flurry of everything. I don't know if he ruled out. Does I've got a statement up in front of me now.
0: Based on this I'm guessing he's not coming back. Doesn't seem like he's
1: staying at Northern Iowa and I know Jamie Shaw is our national he's our national basketball recruiting analyst over at on 3. And he has been all over the portal and who's getting interest? Who's been, in, who's been in contact with them. He wrote about who's called Noah Carter so far. Noah Carter has heard from, and this is just, I'm guessing, a shorter list. Olmis, Arkansas, Virginia Tech, BYU, Oklahoma, that would be interesting, Florida, Texas Tech, Missouri, and Marquette. So he'll have two years of eligibility remaining if he wants, and let me go through these teams for you. Olmis, SEC, Arkansas, SEC, Virginia Tech, ACC, BYU. Is BYU BYU in the Pac-12 in basketball? I know they're independent in football. They might be Mountain West. I don't know. But either way, top-tier program, Oklahoma, Big 12, Florida, SEC, Texas Tech, Big 12, Missouri, SEC, still feels weird, and Marquette, Big East.
0: So he's getting some big-time exposure in the portal. He's getting some big-time interest.
1: And I, that was stunning to me. And the other one that came out yesterday, or yesterday the other one that came out Friday, and I totally missed this because I, I took a nap. <laughs> I mean, I'm be straight up and down. I got done with my shift for on three on the news desk, and I t- I took a nap. So I totally missed until I think yesterday morning that Terry Roberts is in the portal. That is massive. Raining Missouri Valley newcomer of the year, by
0: the way. You know, he transferred from JUCO, and I had somebody ask me this on Twitter. Terry
1: Roberts, per my understanding of the rule, and no one corrected me, so I guess I have it right. Terry Roberts transferred in from JUCO. It was a junior college transfer. Now, junior college transfers are eligible immediately. We've seen that over the years at Loyola. Andre Jackson, Adarius Avery, there's a name for you. Probably haven't heard that name in a while. Adarius Avery was a junior college guy. And if you want to go back even further, Montel James, Earl Peterson, They were junior college transfers. They were eligible right away. This was before the NCAA put in this one-time transfer rule. Terry Roberts transferred from JUCO with the new rule from the NCAA. My understanding is he still has that extra year. He does not have to sit out. This is a first-time D1 transfer. That's how I understand it with this. And again, no one corrected me. Usually when I'm wrong, people correct me immediately on Twitter. And when I'm right, I'm right. It does happen sometimes, believe it or not. I'm wrong more than I'm right. But I tend to be right most sometimes, most of the time. <laughs> but no, Jamie also talked to Terry Roberts. And he's heard from Oregon, Oklahoma State, Florida, Kansas State, Tulsa, Wichita State, and Missouri. And I run through again, coming from a Missouri Valley program. He has heard from a Pac-12 team, a Big 12 team, an SEC team, Big 12, Tulsa's American athletic, but I'm pretty sure they're going to the Big 12. Wichita State's in the American. Still feels weird. And Missouri's in the
0: SEC. So he's hearing from some pretty big programs.
1: You know that this started last year in the Valley. The name that rings a bell in my head right away is Joe Yesufu. And if you don't remember, Joe Yesufu was Sixth man of the year? Yeah, he was sixth man of the year in the Missouri Valley last year, which would have been
0: 2021. And he transferred to Kansas. So he's playing in the Elite Eight today. You
1: know, he went from averaging 12.8 points at Drake to 2.3 points at Kansas. And he's played in all 32 games for Kansas, too. So it's not like he's just sitting on the bench. And that's the name that rings a bell. If a guy like Joe Yesifu, who had a breakout year, can go on to Kansas,
0: that's big. And that goes back to the... my sophomore year. I remember this vividly,
1: and I wish I had it handy, and I don't. I was on a conference call, because every Monday the Missouri Valley holds a coach's teleconference. And at this point, Barry Hinson was still in the league. And this was when rumor was starting to get around about the NCAA thinking about this transfer rule and taking away the year of eligibility.
0: And Jim Benson of the Panagraph, covers Illinois State, asked Barry Hinson about it.
1: Barry didn't hold back. And again, I wish, I wish I had the sound bite handy. But basically what What Barry said was it's going to turn into free agency. He thinks there's going to be big programs calling these mid-major guys. These mid-major programs are going to get decimated. And his exact words were, I'll never forget it, if you don't think that's going to happen, you're living in a world
0: that has fairies. And Tinkerbell does not play college basketball. That is a direct quote. This was the biggest fear with this one-time transfer rule is what's happening now. You
1: see guys like Noah Carter, Terry Roberts, guys who burst onto the scene this year, getting called by these high major programs the minute they're in the portal. Terry Roberts has been in the portal two days, and you heard the programs that have called him. I read him again. Oregon, Oklahoma State, Florida, Kansas State, Tulsa, Wichita State, Missouri, etc. That's the quote that
0: he gave to Jamie Shaw on three. So that means there's more. So I feel like to some people, yes,
1: this is the worst fear with the transfer rule. But it also puts the pressure on the coaches because these coaches and I think Drew Valentine talked about it in this sense, I had to go back and look, but I think he talked about it in the sense of re-recruiting because now coaches not only have to go onto the recruiting trail and get these high schoolers and these junior college players and these transfers to commit, you've got to make sure your guys that are on your roster are staying put. And I think it speaks volumes, and I know the minute I say that something's going to change. But I think it speaks volumes that
0: you haven't heard anything on the transfer portal from Loyola. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. You know, I'm not necessarily a supporter
1: of this one-year transfer role from a mid-major standpoint. Covered mid-major basketball for six years. You know, from a mid-major perspective, your Missouri valleys, your Horizon leagues, your Ohio valleys, your smaller mid-major conferences. Not Missouri Valley is not a small mid-major conference. But what I'm saying is, I'm not talking about say the fringes of like the Atlantic Ten. I think these conferences, at the mid-major level, these one maybe two bid leagues, get hurt. They get hit hard by this one year, this one time transfer rule. And that's why there are people who are against this for this very reason. So you don't have these guys like Terry Roberts and Noah Carter entering the portal and leaving these programs. Because now, like Jonah writes in, Bradley has gone from top three or four in the league to a big question mark. That's exactly right because Terry Roberts was a big part of what Brian Wardle is building down in Peoria. And as I look on verbal commits and verbal commits again – That continues to be the source for
0: scholarship limits, transfer portal. Their Twitter is very active with who's in the portal.
1: Here's who's set to come back for Bradley right now, and this does not include Terry
0: Roberts on this list. Ari Boya, Jashawn Henry, Phile Tavaninen, Connor Hickman, Ranked Mast. Those are some dudes. You know, I think
1: that's a good group right there. But losing Terry Roberts takes away
0: a lot of that effectiveness. So that's a huge hit for Bradley. You
1: know, I still think they can be toward the top of the league. I agree. There's a, there is a big question mark there now, especially at the point guard position. But the Missouri Valley is getting hit so hard by the transfer portal. I think Indiana State has six guys in the portal, including Tyreek Key. Now, Tyreek Key was supposed to play this year. He took the, I thought he took the extra year. Instead, he's in the portal after getting hurt, and who knows where he's going to go now. Shameless plug, and I don't, I don't mind doing this. We do a lot of transfer portal coverage at On3. We have a wire that you can follow to keep up on who's in, who's out, who's, who's gone where, who's backed out, all that stuff. You know, Jamie is unreal with this stuff. I mean, articles this week about Terry
0: Roberts and Noah Carter. But this is only just beginning. I mean, this this
1: is March 27th. We're not even to April yet, people. And NCAA tournament is still going on. Imagine what's going to happen after the tournament. This happened last year with the portal. It was very active because now we're starting to see the impact of the one-time transfer. And I know there's talk of NIL. You know, this is also, I think Terry gave this quote to uh, Dave Aminion and Dave works for the Peoria Journal-Star covering Bradley. Doesn't sound like NIL is a factor in that regard, but I can tell you, NIL is, it's here... There are issues with it. There's going to be. I'm still a big proponent of it. I am a big supporter of it. I don't know if I'll ever back off that. You know, Lane Kiffin has been very outspoken about this. If you've heard his quotes at Ole Miss, he's even been saying, he's, he's like, no, I'm all for this. The, let the players make some money. And he even said there needs to be reform. It needs to be restructured a little bit. But the idea is it's right. And he's absolutely right on that. He's spot on. You know, name image likeness is the future of college sports here. And yes, I know this de facto, quote unquote, free agency that we have going on with the portal that adds another layer to this. And I'm not ready to say, because I I mean, we've seen it at the football level, what NIL can do because football is going to be the higher profile. And we've seen it at basketball too. I told you about Doug Etter getting the deal during St. Peter's run. The cheerleader for Indiana who got the ball off the back of the backboard had an NIL deal. Because, yes, college cheerleaders and dance team members are
0: NCAA athletes. Most people don't realize that. So, yeah, there's a lot of good there. And we're in an evolving landscape in college
1: sports right now with the evolution of NIL and the transfer portal. And I think both need to be restructured. Now, I don't have an idea for you right now. be honest with you, I haven't put that much thought into it. And that's not my call. That's what. That's another thing Lane Kiffin said. He's like, you can ask me for my idea, but it doesn't matter. No, I'm not going to come out here and say it doesn't matter because I would
0: like you to keep listening to my show. But yeah, I don't have an idea for you right now. And I don't know what's going to change.
1: Jonah writes in again talking about this one-time transfer rule. He says, I will say I don't think the one-time transfer is as bad as Barry Henson believes it is from mid-majors, though. For every Noah Carter and Terry Robert who are moving on, you have Marquise Kennedys and Braden Norrises who aren't leaving. You also see a lot of high-major guys transferring as well. Thomas Kithier and Kobe King. That's two examples of Valpo. So it kind of goes both ways in terms of having to re-recruit players. Oh, you're absolutely right. This is a two-way. It's a two-way street here because you have Valpo landed a transfer from Wisconsin. You know Loyola. This is before the one-time transfer rule took effect, but. I know he didn't play much. He didn't put up the numbers that we thought he would. Demise Anderson transferred to Loyola from Indiana. So it does go both ways, because some of these high major guys, who maybe they aren't getting the minutes, if they want to go succeed at a mid-major program, guess what? They can do that, and they can play immediately. So yeah, I agree with you, Jonah. It's a two-way street there. There's pros and cons.
0: I think my grandma always says, life's full of trade-offs. And yeah, the mid-majors,
1: they get hurt by the portal because you have guys going to bigger programs, but you've also got these high-major programs that are going to lose maybe some of their role players off the bench to these mid-major programs where they can make an immediate impact, maybe start right away, depending on who they are, and they can do all this. And Yeah, you you brought up another one. Milton Doyle went to Kansas. Now, Milton's situation was different. Milton Doyle, when, when we say Milton Doyle went to Kansas, he took a summer class. And the NCAA ruled, no, he's not eligible immediately. So that's a different situation. That's one thing, and I, I love that we still can talk about Milton Doyle on the show, because Milt was one of my favorite players to cover at Loyola. Great guy, too. And yeah, Milt's situation was different at Kansas. It's not like he played at Kansas he went to Kansas. I think he took a summer class or one. or He took like an extra class in there and then decided to transfer. And the NCAA just said, nope, you're not eligible immediately. You've got to sit out a year. Just imagine how different Loyola's program would be if Milton Doyle didn't play that last year. You ever think about that? That's a fun what if we can do. But no, I don't know where everything's going. i am going to keep an eye on this transfer portal stuff. And I say again, we've got a lot of transfer portal coverage at On3. I'm not just saying that because I work for him. This is extensive stuff that we've got going on. You want to check out our wire, the transfer portal wire. We've got names. It's up to date. And Jamie Shaw, our national guy, has been talking to some of these guys that are transferring and getting their thoughts and finding out what teams they're hearing from, what could be next? It's amazing what they're doing over there. Didn't have time to get to the professional sports scene. We talked a lot of college sports, a lot of college basketball, and the transfer portal stuff. I figured would take me over time, but I thought that was a good discussion. We're going to keep having these conversations going forward as well. You know, it's our last show of March. We're getting into April. Isn't that crazy? Two more games today in the Elite Eight to set up the rest of the Final Four. They start at one twenty this afternoon you got Miami and Kansas and St. Peter's and North Carolina in the Elite Eight. Winners move on to the Final Four this coming weekend in New Orleans. National Championship coming up next week. We are almost to the end of college basketball season. That is so crazy to think about. Then we're into the offseason, and it's going to be really interesting, especially with Loyola making the conference switch. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you. Thank you again to everybody for listening. Thank you to Jonah for chiming in on the conversation on Twitter. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll see you back here next Sunday on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WUW 88.7 FM. Have a fantastic week. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the Final Four. See you back here talking national championship next Sunday. Take care.